everyone welcome back to a 2023 episode of midwest madness your true crime cult conspiracy encrypted podcast hi happy uh 2023 i'm emily and i'm danielle um i didn't want to introduce myself first because you always introduce yourself right after you do the intro and you didn't so i just i didn't either um yeah we hope you guys had a good holiday break um i know i did i feel like we haven't done this in forever i know it feels like it's been a really really long time it's been pretty much a month almost yeah so that's crazy um what do you want to talk about you know i don't have much no i mean unless you have something you'd like to talk about well, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about oh um, the Iowa, Idaho, Idaho, Idaho. Idaho. yeah, Idaho. I, what is happening to my brain? Yeah, that we definitely can because we did update about it last time. Um, you sent it to me first that they had a suspect. Yeah, did you read the affidavit? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, I read the nineteen-page affidavit. Damn, good for you. Mm-hmm. All right, fill me in. The just released it um thursday i think but it was like the affidavit that they wrote for the arrest warrant so it kind of laid out you know the evidence they had okay first i'll just try to go through it quickly because i'm sure most people have looked at it and if you haven't it's only it's a quick read is it pretty easy to understand yeah that's always my concern with that kind of stuff is like am i gonna be really confused no it's easy but they the killer left the knife sheath on the bed next to two of the victims okay so they got his dna from the button of the knife sheath and that matched this brian guy okay um They were able to track his car via security cameras all the way from, like, Washington to Idaho back to Washington. Okay. And, like, to basically their residence, like, and they can see him, like, he literally, like, drives back and forth in front of it, like, three times. On, like, the other people's security cameras, right? Yeah. Okay. I did hear about that. Surveillance footage and stuff. Um, cell phone data... He did turn his phone off um, during the crimes. Like, he turned it off at, like, 2 something that morning and then back on at, like, 4.20 or 4.30 or 4.40 or something. Honestly, like, that's, for me, that would be, like, a dead giveaway that I was doing something that I didn't want other people to know about. Right. Just leave the phone at home. Right. It's really not that hard. But not that we're giving no. criminals <laughs> I don't think tips. that's, like, hard. No- well, he's a criminology major. You would think, PhD, yeah. actually. Holy shit, He's really? He's going for his PhD in criminology. I knew that it was criminology, but I didn't know it was a, he was a PhD student. Dude, yeah. Holy shit. So, pretty interesting. He also, um, A, visited the house or area. They can't say for certain it was a house, but the phone pinged off the pa- the tower, tower okay, nearest. for the houses Okay. 12 times Holy before shit. the murders. And he went back the next morning between 9... Which is definitely something 10 that... 10 and 9.20 a.m. Yeah. And his phone pinged again. He okay. had his phone on him and it was on at that time. And that's and they say that killers will return to the scene of the crime. Well, which is people why a lot are of times speculating online. 
I'm not saying this is true or not. Okay. They're speculating maybe he realized he forgot the knife sheath. Owen was trying to get trying it Trying to get it back. back. But, I mean, that's just totally a rumor. Yeah. Who knows? Well, maybe he just wanted to go back and visit the scene of the crime yeah, and see if anybody had... Noticed anything no, was yeah, up or whatever. Who knows? Because um, he's pled non-guilty, right? I don't know if he's... I thought he pled not guilty. I'll look. Sure, I'm sure he did, but... I haven't given the best information yet. I've saved oh, the best okay. for last. Okay, keep telling me. One of the surviving roommates... Yes. Okay, so basically, one of the roommates who lost their lives... Um, I'm doing a really bad job doing this quick, but they ordered DoorDash. DoorDash was delivered around 4 a.m., and um, all the roommates were still awake at that point. At 4.12 a.m., the same person was scrolling TikTok on her phone, so they knew they were alive at that point. Um, Around the same time, one of the surviving roommates hears one of her other roommates, what she thought, she thought that the other roommate was playing with her dog. Okay. Um, But then she hears someone say, somebody's here. And then she hears crying. So she's like kind of opening her door to see if she can see anything. Yeah. Or what? She hear what's going on. She can't. She doesn't really know. Closes the door. Then she hears a male voice say, it's okay. I'm going to help you. She opens her door for a last time. Sees the masked man, walks right past her. What? And she's standing there frozen in fear. She can see, like, male around. I think she said, like, 5'10", bushy eyebrows, was wearing a mask, and all black. He walked right right fucking past her? Yeah. Holy shit. And then she just closed her door and locked it because she was afraid, obviously. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, that's what we learned from that affidavit. That poor thing. Yeah. I Um, mean, like, poor thing in the first place, like, in general, because, like, a bunch of her friends are dead. Yeah. But, like, holy fucking shit. That girl's got some, like, real guardian angels. Yeah. I don't know if he didn't see her or he just, like... Was just so, like, dead set on getting the hell out out of there. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Oh. You just blew my mind. Isn't that crazy? It gives me chills. Could you imagine yes. you open your door? All of a sudden you see like an unknown person just walk right past your door. Well, and I'm like thinking of, of the last place I lived in college. My roommates and I all had, well, we had one roommate in the basement and then three of us upstairs and our rooms were all right next to each other. And mine was like the first one that you would pass to go to the other two rooms. And I'm just envisioning like I open my door and this random man just like walks past and then i find out later that they're both dead holy shit and it's also very interesting to me because we won't talk too much longer on this but originally i had thought that the two surviving roommates were on the bottom like first floor yes one was on the first floor the second one was on the same floor as xana and ethan oh yeah I and that's the one who saw the yeah because i thought they were guy. both on the first floor too yeah so no interesting which is even more crazy that she was unharmed. And right. Like, thank God she wasn't. But yeah, oh, so. Physically, emotionally, yeah. I'm sure it's I'm sure been she's very traumatic. 
And people are just going after her on the internet now because seriously, they, they're like, "Well, she saw him at four a.m. Why didn't she call? Why didn't they call nine one one till almost noon?" It's like, first of all, you don't know how you're going to react in that situation until you've been in that situation. Also, she's like nineteen. She's a 20. baby. Yeah, like leave her alone. Leave her the fuck alone. She's already oh gone through like the God. worst thing in the world. And people are like, "She's in on it. She's on it." She wasn't fucking in on it. Like. People are disgusting. They just stretch. This they, like, know who did, oh like, or allegedly who did it at this point, and they're still trying to, like, tie this poor girl in. So, if... Just leave her alone. Honestly, I don't think anyone who would listen to this I would hope do anything, not. but if you are, stop. Knock the fuck off. <laughs> Emily's saying stop nicely. I'm saying quit being a fucking piece of shit and leave her alone. So, there we go. That's what we got on that. Holy crap pretty crazy i think uh someone could tell i was upset because they moved closer <laughs> yeah um so there we go quick um update on that um yeah that's crazy. we'll have to continue to follow it because i mean it's just a crazy story um, this story is gonna be one an infamous one for oh ever, ever. so yeah so the the when i looked it up it said that um i didn't see if he pled guilty or not but it said that he could not use the insanity defense he also um, is a public defender which i really? found kind of interesting that is shocking considering like the infamy yeah so but i i do recall reading that he pled not guilty but i have no concrete proof of that so but i'm assuming if he if they haven't said that he's just pled guilty yeah so there we go um we can get into my story now for some reason, over the past, like, three hours, I've had this irrational fear that you already did this story. Okay. So, hey, if that's the case, Sorry. I can ramble on about other things. For <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I'm going to stay in the state of Minnesota. Um, I feel like I haven't been there in a while. I know you have, but right. I'm going to do an infamous story. Infamous to me. Who knows if it's infamous to you, because... Again, every time a lot of times it's you'll infamous. say that you I'm have like, no idea huh? what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be telling the story of one of Minnesota's own serial killers. Um, and I'm going to be talking about Paul Michael Stefani, otherwise known as the Weepy Voice Killer. Oh, I do know this story. I have not done it. done it. I don't okay. think so. All right, good. No, but have you listened to the phone call? Yeah. Oh my god. Insane. The most annoying voice in the whole entire world. It's crazy. Ugh. Um, okay, so Paul Michael Stefani was born on September eighth, nineteen forty four, down in Austin, Minnesota, which is in the southern part of the state. Uh he was one of ten children and his family was deeply religious. That's a lot of kids. Uh now Paul didn't have the best childhood ever. His mother remarried to a man. Um, when he was young and that man, um, liked to do things like kick his stepchildren down the stairs, um, and beating them up as well. So again, we can say it as many times as we want. You can feel bad for the kid, but you don't feel bad for the man. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Now, unfortunately, I don't really have much more about Paul's past or how he ended up in the Twin Cities area. But the only other information I have about him is that he got married at one point to a woman named Beverly Leiter, and the two had a, cho- a daughter together. Uh, the relationship didn't last long, though, and they did end up getting divorced at some point. It was also said that Paul had a really hard time 
holding down a job and he had been fired from multiple different places. The most recent um, position was a janitor at a place called Malmberger. <laughs> I spelled that wrong. Oh. Malmberg manufacturing company well it's because he had such a fucking annoying voice that people were like i can't stand listening to this man talk well he didn't talk like that at all times oh okay just when he just when he called in yeah i don't care it's Um, annoying uh, we also know that paul was once convicted of aggravated assault and had a history of mental illness quick um what is aggravated assault in the state of Minnesota? Yes, please. Defined as the intent to cause bodily harm with the use of a deadly weapon, such as a knife, gun, baseball bat, flammable substance, or any other object that could inflict severe injuries or death. Okay. So now that we have background, um, let's get into his crimes. So, on January 1st, 1981, around 3 a.m., a man called police and asked them to send a squad and ambulance to the Malmberg manufacturing company which if you remember was the last place that we know what paul held a job um but he had been fired at this point okay the person on the phone informed police that quote there was a girl hurt there end quote and it was quite the odd call because it was he sounds like this yeah he sounds like a little baby crying oh god it's the worst um if I'll we post, knew- I'll post YouTube videos. I was going to say, if we knew how to splice it in, we would, but I don't think we know how. Well, I'm just not that, <laughs> yeah. I'm not that tech savvy. Um, when police arrived to the location, they found 20-year-old university student carrying Potak in a snowbank near railroad tracks. She was stripped nude and was beaten so badly that her skull was cracked. Despite her severe injuries, Karen survived the attack, although wow. she did have severe brain trauma. Which makes sense. Karen had been in the area at a New Year's Eve party with her sisters when she decided to leave the party after midnight for a little walk around the city. Um, this is when she was attacked, unfortunately. Um, don't go walking around the city at night alone. No. Just for your own safety. Right. Not saying what she did was wrong. No. Not blaming her no. at all. Just, Just saying. Please, say. Please Buddy be system. safe. Yes. Um... Police fortunately had no leads in the case, and it pretty quickly went cold. Until six months later, when on June 3rd, 1981, a group of teenage boys were playing in a field that was near a construction site when they came across the body of a young woman. The woman was identified as 18-year-old Kimberly Compton, who was a recent high school graduate and had moved from Wisconsin that same day and searched oh for a job. Oh my gosh. She had suffered wounds to the chest, stomach, and inner thighs, and it was determined by the medical examiner that she had been stabbed a total of 61 times with an ice pick, which um, we can all, I think, agree that that is kind of an odd weapon. Yes. Especially in June. Yeah, right? Like, why are you carrying that around? Um, investigators had gotten no evidence from the crime scene, but 48 hours later, they received a phone call to the station. The person on the other end of the phone pleaded, quote, um, God damn, will you find me? I just stabbed someone with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody, end quote. Do you think he really couldn't stop himself, or do you think that was just a pathetic excuse? I don't want to speculate. Um, you are no fun. Two days later, he called back again, this time saying he was going to turn himself in, which he did not. On Shocking. June 6th, he called again to complain that newspaper account of the murders were not accurate, which is irrelevant, but... 
Um, and his final call was on June 11th, where in a barely coherent, whimpering, weepy voice, he cried, quote, don't just, don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry for what I did to Compton. I couldn't help it. I can't think of getting locked up. If I get locked up, I'll kill myself. I'll try not to kill anybody else, end quote. Now, during the first call that came in, please believe that this could be print calls, but when the person on the other men end mentioned the ice pick, they knew it was more than likely the actual killer calling him, okay. and that's when they kind of started taking things a little more seriously. Um, they did try to trace the first call, but it was too short, so they couldn't, um, but the Last call that came in, police were able to trace to a phone booth at a bus depot, but by the time they got there, the person was gone. Which has got to be so frustrating. Yeah. Investigators then tried to match the voice to other unsolved crimes and decided to listen to their backlog of recorded calls, and that's when they made the um, connection from the call five months earlier um, from January 1st to around 3 a.m., begging for assistance for Karen Potak in that same weepy voice. Um, the police released a portion of that call to the media in hopes that someone would be able to identify the voice, but unfortunately, no one was able to. This is when the killer was dubbed the weepy voiced killer, and, uh, police wouldn't hear from him again for almost a year. So um, he did his best. To not kill again. Or he just didn't call. Or, yeah, he just didn't call. That's a good point. <laughs> On the morning of August 6, 1982, a paper boy was doing his regular route when he spotted a woman's body on the banks of the Mississippi River. She was later identified as Barbara Simons, a 40-year-old nurse. She had been beaten and stabbed with a weapon that made wounds that were circular, making investigators believe it was either a Phillips screwdriver or an ice pick. Um... And after analyzing the crime scene, investigators were also able to determine that this was more than likely uh, not the killer's first crime. Yeah. So, his the age range is very broad, right? Because, yeah. like, the first victim was, like, in her 20s, didn't you? Like, right? Early yeah. 20s. And then this last one was in her 40s. So, do you know if they looked similar or was it... No, you don't know? No, I don't know. Okay. They didn't so, say anything about... Because I'm just trying to figure out if there's, like... I think it was you know. crime of opportunity. Okay. That that would make In sense. In my opinion. Okay. Um, oh, look at you speculate there. Two so days crap. later, police received a phone call that finally connected Barbara's crime to the other two crimes. This time, the killer said, quote, I'm sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one over in St. Paul. I killed more people. I'll never make it to heaven. End quote. That... 40 times is so many. Yeah. Police learned that night that Barbara was killed. Um, police learned that on the night that Barbara was killed, she was a, at a bar called the Hexkin Bar in Minneapolis. A bartender and a waitress saw Barbara talking with an unidentified white man. And at one point in the night, she even told one of the waitresses, quote, I hope this guy's okay because I just need a ride home, end quote. Oh. At this point, police knew they had a serial killer on their hands, um, and they reached out to the FBI for assistance in profiling the su suspect. They told the FBI told investigators that this was someone who enjoyed playing a cat and mouse type of game. Um, investigators thought their best bet at this point would be to bring mugshots of offenders 
with history of violent assaults to the bar that Barbara was last seen and show bartenders. Um, after taking a look at photos, bartenders were able to identify the man that Barbara was with as Paul Michael Stefani. While doing some research into his background, police found that Paul used to work at the Malberg Manufacturing Company, the place where Karen Potak was attacked on New Year's. He soon became the main suspect in the case. Um, police set up surveillance at Paul's apartment, and on August 21st, 1981, he left his apartment and police followed him into Minneapolis. Unfortunately, they eventually lost track of Paul, and hours later, a man called police after witnessing a woman being stabbed with a screwdriver. This man attempted to intervene on the scene, but the suspect threatened him and then fled to the scene in his car. First responders found 21-year-old Denise Williams, who had been engaging in sex work when she was stabbed 13 times. The sex work isn't really that important. I shouldn't have even put it in there, but I did. Um, she was stabbed 13 times with the screwdriver. She told police that the suspect had offered to drive her home somewhere in East Minneapolis, though he pulled his car over to the side of the road and took a screwdriver out of his glove to con and began stabbing her. Denise was able to find a bottle in the car and she smashed it across his face, which allowed her to um, escape before the witness called for help. Good for her. Police showed Denise several mugshots and she was able to pick Paul out of a lineup. Um, now, not too long after Denise was attacked, another call came in and the person on this end of the phone said, quote, I need an ambulance. I'm all cut up. I got beat up and I'm bleeding. End quote. When first responders showed up, they found Paul Stefani bleeding from the head. Good for her. So he pretty much had to call 911. Yeah. Like he needed to get help. So. Yeah. And I would hope that even if he hadn't called 911 to get himself help, if he'd brought himself into the hospital. Uh, yeah, I think he, the police would have been like, they would. ha ha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, at first, in an interview with police, Paul said he was the victim of robbery. But when he was confronted with all the information from... Um, the past crimes paul jumped up from his seat and said quote you're not going to pin those on me end quote and um investigators in the room said his voice immediately changed to the weepy <laughs> high-pitched voice and police realized that this was the same voice from all those phone calls and recordings legit i was gonna ask you're not gonna pin this on me uh, i was gonna do that but then you said he <laughs> sounded like that anyways so yep. kind of ruined my ruined my bit <laughs> Um, Paul was charged at first with the assault of Denise and the murder of Barbara Simmons, the two that they could definitively pin on him. Okay. Um, now, of course, they believe that Paul was Oswald responsible for the um, killing of Kim Compton and the assault of Karen Potok, but unfortunately, at the time, they didn't have enough evidence to charge him. Um, police was... Police Paul was convicted <laughs> of both counts of assault and murder, and he was sentenced to 18 years for the assault and 40 years for the murder. Police being uh, convicted would have been a much different story. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 1997, Paul Stefani reached out to law enforcement from behind bars, stating he wanted to confess to other crimes. In return, Paul wanted one thing, apparently, and that was a photograph of his mother's headstone. So his mom must have died. And he... That's actually kind of really sad. Um, I know you don't... You feel no pity or compassion, but... I, and I, I don't either. I don't excuse what he did, but, like, it's just kind of sad. 
Once he received the image, Paul admitted to the murder of Kim Compton and the assault of Karen Potak. But this wasn't the only thing he confessed to. He also confessed to the murder of a woman where he had drowned her in her bathtub. But he didn't know the name of the person, unfortunately. So police went to the Ramsey County Medical Examiner's Office and researched drownings in the area. Um, Freshwater drownings. Although I'm now I'm thinking about it, all Minnesota would be freshwater. All of our lakes are freshwater. So I take that back. <laughs> um, Tap water drownings? <laughs> question mark. In the time frame that he was talking about, and after many days of searching, they believe they found a match to the crime Paul had confessed to. On July 21st, 1982, 33-year-old school teacher Kathleen Greening was found dead in her bathtub. Her murder had gone unsolved, but Paul knew details of her apartment and of the crime that only the killer could know. They also went back and looked at Kathleen's address book and found a Paul S. in there along with his phone number. So, pretty. They're pretty confident that that's the the one. That would be one hell of a coincidence. Paul never gave any insight into why he committed the crimes he did. He did state that he wanted to come clean about the murders and crimes because he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, And... With that, on June 12, 1998, Paul Stefani died inside the Oak Park Heights Maxim, Maxim, Maximum. Maximum. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you tired? I am. It's been a long day for you. <laughs> yeah. My brain's a little fried, if I'm being honest. Maximum security there you prison. Go. Um, he was either 53 or 54. I say either 53 or 54 because, um, well, hold on. He was born in September and he died in June. He'd be 53. Yeah, he'd be 53. He wouldn't have been 54 yet. No, not yet. For some reason, the math was not mathing for me That's when I fine. wrote this, but That's we figured fine. it out. <laughs> um, it's uh, easy for me because I'm a September as well, so yeah. I, I'm like, okay, got it. So there we go. That is the story of the weepy voice killer. I know I literally talked so fast through that, <laughs> but like Danielle said, I mean, it's late for us us recording. Yeah, it's we 8, usually don't and record I spent, this late. I spent, you know, eight or nine hours in a high school gym judging dance team today, so... Which um, you don't mind doing. No, but I love then doing. After, it's just very, it's very, then, like, it's mentally taxing. Very mentally taxing. Yeah. And it so, doesn't like, sound like it would be, but it is. Well, and then we were going to record um, tomorrow, like normal, and you were like, I have a lot going on I tomorrow. So Can we just, like, not? Well, you have a, a bachelorette party coming up. Yes. So, so, just got a lot of stuff to do. So, yeah. Yeah. So, we normally don't record this late. This is, like, past my bedtime, even on a Saturday. Well, not really. I'd be in bed, but I won't you'd, be asleep. No, you'd be snuggling with your boy. Yeah. Um, okay. So, there we go. Um, my sources were murderpedia.org, criminalmind.fandom.com. I use that one a lot, too. Wikipedia.org, law.justia.com. Um, oh, well, look at that. I put that in there twice. <laughs> and oxygen.com. Um, our socials are MW Madness Podcast um, at gmail.com. Please send us emails. We love that. I don't think we ever get any. <laughs> um, then our Facebook is Midwest Madness Podcast group on Facebook. And we are MW Madness Podcast on Instagram, too. I would like to apologize. We did have one person who, like, messaged us in, like, October and I didn't see it until like a week ago. Oh shit! Yeah, because it went into have... our hidden requests, and so I was just kind of like putzing around on my other account. I was like, oh, I should go check that one. So I did respond to her, and I I apologized. Like, sorry, it went to our hidden requests. So 
please don't think we're being dicks if we don't respond to you. It's literally just that we didn't see it. So yeah. Um. Cool. Well, welcome back, you guys. We hoped 2023 is a great year for everyone. Um. I'm trying this new thing I saw on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Every day, I'm saying I'm so lucky everything works out for me. Oh. And it's supposed to like. Change, change your, your like mental outlook and your like and it's kind of like your manifest it's like an af- affirmation manifest yeah okay so, i don't know if anyone wants to join that with me but i'm so lucky everything works out for me i love that <laughs> sounds kind of silly but no i love that um we hope you guys have a great week i will be let's just say hopefully you don't come back injured <laughs> you have yeah you have some i got a bad track record so. yeah and we won't know until two weeks, two weeks from now because we're gonna record my next episode in about mm, four minutes yeah so so we'll find out have a great week everyone and bye. we'll see you next week bye <laughs>